0: Tonight's speaker speaker is Marilyn. <laughs> Hi, I'm Marilyn, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> my, my sobriety date this time is December fifteenth, two 2012. And I thought about getting sober on December 12th, so it would be cool, like 12-12-2012, <laughs> but powerless over alcohol and so that <laughs> didn't happen till the 15th but um I tried really hard not to think about what I was going to say because I didn't because I didn't want to you know plan it but every now and then something would come in and be like stop stop um I just wanted to like uh, tell my story from the beginning I've never been recorded before and I was a little nervous about it and uh then my roommate very you know comfort was very made me really comfortable when he said don't worry it's there's enough voice recognition software out there that they would be able to figure out who you were. So I don't have to worry about being anonymous. But um, I got sober, you know, I uh, tried treatment in 1988. That was when all the treatment centers were real big. And I'd come down off of a really bad drunk and a uh, meth kind of situation. And <laughs> I uh dramatic, and I was going through a divorce, so I was real dramatic, and I you know, called the treatment center, and then they talked me into coming in, and you know, she leaned across the table and said, "You'll never be able to drink like a lady." And then they convinced me to come in, and then I didn't want to do what they told me to do. So I left um, against medical advice, and I left in a big cloud of drama, and I remember the woman hollering down the hall, "Just get help somewhere." You know, um, so I got out of there and then I stayed sober 90 days, and then I drank for a year and a half. And then the same thing happened. I uh, was, you know, drinking, drugs are part of my story, although alcohol is my drug of choice. It was the first and the last. It never left the scene. Um, so I ended up in a three, three o'clock in the afternoon meeting on a really hot September day in Dallas, and, um, I was real shaky, you know, real, I'd been up all night, and, uh, I felt terrible, and, um, I didn't realize it at the time, but the woman that talked with me, they, they started the meeting, but these, this other woman showed up at the beginning of the meeting early, and she sat in the kitchen, they had, like, a kitchen area, and she sat at the table, and, um, talked to me throughout the whole meeting. And I didn't realize it until I'd been sober for quite some time that what she was doing was exactly out of the big book, exactly. She was sharing her experience, strength, and hope. She told me her story, and she told me how she got sober. And um, for some reason, I you know, chose to call her every day, and she became my first sponsor. And um, sobriety wasn't very, that was in September of 1990. And uh, sobriety has never been extremely easy for me or in terms of emotional sobriety. I've had a lot of um, issues with depression and anxiety and a lot of crying and stuff like that. And so my first year and a half um, in the early 90s was really, um, really rough. And it was, you know, it was a miracle that I even stayed sober. So I did. I stayed sober, um, moved to California in 1994, and I was out there for about 10 years. Came back to Austin in 2004 and um, started coming to Bolden. And if this is your first time here, welcome. It's just an awesome meeting. I absolutely love it. Um, Everybody fits in here, everybody. So um, I... uh, moved here with my husband at the time and um we we bought this house in Pflugerville I don't know I mean I'm sorry if you're from Pflugerville but I just it wasn't the right place for me but um I would come in mm-hmm. to Austin on for the Saturday one o'clock for some reason I just thought you know it was real, and I would sit like right where Steve is and look out the window at that magnolia tree and um that's how I became in you know introduced to Bolden And I eventually, after we divorced, we sold the house and I moved to South Austin. And, you know, it's taken me a really long time. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, I pined after California for probably 12 years. Anybody that knows me knows I kept talking about moving back. And just recently, the last couple of years, I'm like, you know what? I'm here. This is cool. Austin, I like it. I'm here. And um, that's a real good feeling. Um... About, you know, alcohol, the thought of drinking came back to me various times throughout that time in recovery, and there were many times when I thought about drinking. Thought of it as an option, um, really thought it would help, but one day at a time I didn't drink, and uh, I got, uh, I came into 22 years of sobriety. And then um, one day... They say you know the, the relapse happens way before the drink, and that 's definitely my ca- was what happened in my case. Um, I uh, thought about drinking for a really long time, and then I drank and um, you know that night, I ended up you know it started out with a lone star that someone had left in my fridge that sat there for a year maybe several months. <laughs> Started with that and ended up at Antone's, you know, so it's like, it, you know, right back where I, right back, you know, just the same, you know, drinking in bars and stuff. And, um, you know, uh, one of my friends was, you know, I have friends yeah. in this room that did not abandon me when I was in my relapse, and I'm really fortunate. Um, they, they remained my friends, and one of my friends said, just whatever you do, don't drive drunk. I'm like, oh, I won't, and I was driving drunk, of course, um, he said, "You you don't want to be that person that comes back, you know, with the DWI." And I'm like, "Oh no, I won't drink, drink mm-hmm. and drive." Um, but it's a miracle. I was only out two and a half months, and um, it, it's a miracle that I didn't get in any kind of trouble because I, you know, I like to drink and drive, and um, I I guess why why I share that is because um, I think sometimes. It's easy to. One of the things they told me my first round in sobriety, and I don't hear as much of it anymore as I did back then, which is look for the similarity and not the differences. You know, because um, I didn't get a DWI. I, I, I never went to jail except to bail out my cousin. I don't know why I didn't end up in jail that night. But, you know, so a lot of that stuff didn't happen to me. But that doesn't mean I'm not an alcoholic. It means that I just am super lucky. And for some odd reason, I never got caught. You know, and um, it's really, it's God's grace. And uh, I, uh, this time in sobriety, I'm just so grateful that I got back, that, um, you know, I don't want to try it again, I don't want to test it again, because I feel like I got, you know, I don't want to say I got away with it, but I was given a lot of grace, and that a lot of people, because I've been around since 1990, um, I've seen a lot of people come in and out, and I've seen a lot of people die, Um, and it's, you know, I, I don't know why that didn't happen to me. And, um, I'm just grateful that, um, I had another chance. Um, let's see what else I'll, I'll share a little bit about my childhood. I don't know that it really matters that much except, I mean, I'm not unique in this at all. I mean, I just came from a really crazy, crazy ass family, um, mentally ill mother, um alcoholic biological father we left him when I was about two and a half, and my mother's second husband adopted me and my little brother um my little my my little brother that is no longer living I have another little brother um that my mom and second husband have had um you know and all and growing up in my family, it was real important what we looked like on the outside. It was real important. And, um, you know, I look back at that sometimes because I was real rebellious and outspoken. And, um, you know, I don't... I just had a real strong spirit. You know, I just fought against... It was so freaking crazy at my house. I was just... I, I was acting out. I was just... I was... As a teenager, I was really... Um, a really angry kid. Um, and I think when I look back on that, I think I just must have had a really strong spirit and that's the way I was able to survive. Um, and, um, I, you know, discovered alcohol in you know, 14 or 15 and, and that was a lot of fun. And so my parents divorced and I talked my mother into getting me a car and a hardship driver's license so that I could pick up my little brother from day, from day school, daycare or whatever. And she did, and we, poor thing, my brother Mark. We would pick him up at his little daycare. You know, my friends were smoking cigarettes. You know, just crazy. So I grew up in Wichita Falls, and if anybody knows where that is, it's just, I I did not fit there at all. Um, Never did fit in there. Um, At about, I guess I was about, I, I went to Midwestern there for about a year did horribly because I was busy drinking and drugging, and I had a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. I was a daredevil, you know. I'm not gonna lie, you know, I had a lot of good times. But I also had that crushing depression that happened after a binge, and um, that, all, that happened quite a bit. I also had a lot of passing out incidents, um, and then, yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of cute when you're 19 or 20. It's not so cute when you're 51. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see I, uh, I I, decided I was about 21, 2021 that I would clean up and go get out of Wichita Falls so I saved up a little bit of money not much and I moved to San Marcos, and I went to I transferred down to back then it was Southwest Texas State. My whole intention was to get my grades up so that I could come to UT. But man, I had so much fun in San Marcos, I did not want to leave. Oh, nice. And that was such mm-hmm. a fun, yeah. It had a reputation, and I loved it. Um, I did I did very well there. I did well in school, but I, the drinking and the you know the drugs and the alcohol um, were still prevalent was the whole, you know, the whole time. Um, but I did well in school, and um, I worked my way through school. Back then, you could get, you know, education wasn't as expensive as it is today, and so I was able to um, pay for it with a couple of student loans. It's it's embarrassing how little money I had to borrow to get, you know, I feel so bad for people today that are trying to go through school. It's just so expensive. Um, so... You know, my parents would help every now and then, my dad more than my mom, um, but basically I supported myself, and, um, and, and and I was able to, you know, thank God I was able to do it, so I graduated with a degree in journalism in 1986, and I moved to Bryan, Texas, and got a job. I got a job at a TV station, and I mean, it was just it's this little tiny little station, and CBS affiliate in uh, Bryan. I don't even know if it's there anymore. Okay, so I was uh, an, a weekday reporter and a weekend anchor. God, I was not very good at all. It was, I was. They were always catching me looking at the wrong camera. <laughs> uh, you know, I, but I was get. I had gotten a job. You know, and a lot of people, you know, in journalism didn't get jobs. Um, they're hard. They're hard to to get. But I I share that because you know I partied in school and that was a lot of fun and I got away with it because you can kind of you know mess do your hours your classes whenever and um, you know I worked in a restaurant and we all partied our asses off after work and but going going to work and having to be somewhere with certain hours and actually having to produce something on a deadline um, you know I just wasn't really very very didn't have the skills to do that I was drinking I was I was an alcoholic and just you know going out and drinking all night at the clubs and then trying to go in and and do that kind of work it was just too much and so um, I had a pretty big meltdown after being there about six months and I don't know how it happened it's all really kind of fuzzy I think I ended up at a talking to a Methodist minister he was really way cool and we ended up he had some kind of, I can't believe I'm, this just came to me, I, this memory. He had some kind of dream uh, group, and so I joined it. There were some other people. We were reading Carl Jung and you know, analyzing our dreams. I'm like, wow, that, this is really cool. But anyway, he ended up referring me to a counselor who ended up referring me to a psychiatrist who put me on one of those really old-school antidepressants way before the SSRIs. And while he, while he, as he's handing me the prescription, he says, but you can't drink on these. Mm-hmm. And that was the first time anybody had ever told me I couldn't drink. I was like, what? He's like, you can't drink on these. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I took them, I think it was about maybe 30 days, maybe a couple of months, and I was white-knuckling it, and I was not happy. Those damn things didn't work. And it was probably because I was like, White knuckling at sobriety, so um, I quit that job. I got a another job offer back in Wichita Falls, which was a crazy decision. So I moved back to work um, at a station there. I think I lasted about a month, and uh, I, I remember one night I made a decision. Okay, I'm gonna not take these. These I'm gonna not gonna take these, so I can drink. It was like I made the clear decision. So, being unknowledgeable in how to stop psychiatric medicine, I stopped it one day, and the next day I'm drinking and doing coke, and it's just not a good idea. You know, you're not going to have a good experience the next day. So, um, I did that for a while, and uh, married my first husband. Um, we, didn't, we fought like cats and dogs, so we thought we'd get married. <laughs> and um, we got married, and uh, I think we lived together for about four months. It was physically abusive. It was, it was pretty bad, um, both of us, not just him. I mean, I was a maniac, too. And um, so that lasted. I think we lived together for like four months, but, you know, newsflash, you, you know, it doesn't take very long to get married, but it takes a while to get divorced. Mm-hmm. So we did that, and then I ended up in Dallas, for a while and that's where I got sober the first time. And then um in nineteen ninety-four I moved to California. That was a dream. And you know, um a lot of synchronistic things have happened, and when I'm open to that stuff, it happens. And um the whole moving to California thing was a great I had one I had this desire to live on the beach and I guess I just thought about it long enough and talked about it long enough that things started falling into place, and I ended up moving out there and had a wonderful time. And um, sobriety's really good out there, and I made a lot of friends. And um, anyway, I'm kind of losing my train of thought. So I ended up back in Austin, and um, you know I've had I've had various sponsors throughout the years, and um, this time. And at the end of my sobriety last time, it's been my experience, and not to scare anyone, but um my experience was the longer I was sober, the harder it was to have a, to keep a, to find a sponsor and keep a sponsor. Um, there aren't a lot of women in Alcoholics Anonymous with a lot of sobriety that that aren't sponsoring ten people already, you know, so it's like you know now. I have a sponsor, and I'm so grateful for it. I mean, when I was younger, I would like cancel on my sponsor, or you know, call her up and say, "I really don't feel like, you know, I want to go out with this guy tonight. You know, I'll just catch up with you later. You know, just real rude. You don't, know, you know. I learned the hard way, and I kept can- canceling on this one woman once, and I don't know why it took her this long to say this to me, but she was like, "I am just trying to help you." She finally got mad at me. I mean. Nowadays, for me, if somebody, you know, I don't, it's, anyway, now, now that I have a sponsor, believe me, I, I text her, are you available? (laughs) I call her when she's available. I call her when I say I'm going to call her, um, because that woman gives me a lot of her time and energy, and I'm so grateful for it. Um, You know, she, our phone calls are anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour. I mean, that that's a lot of time out of her day to help me. Work some steps and stay sober. Um, When I didn't have a when when there were periods when I didn't have a sponsor, um, and this is my experience, and I would I would recommend it is if I felt like I needed to do an inventory, then I would just do it and then find someone to share it with, because for me, I can't sit with that stuff for very long. Um, So that's how I got the sponsor I have today because I had begged her. over the, you know, a couple of times throughout the years, you know, would you please sponsor me? No, I have too many. I have too many. Um, but one time I, um, so this last time I, I knew I needed to do an inventory. And, um, so I did one and I messaged her on Facebook and I said, I know you're not taking any sponsees but would you be willing to listen to the fifth step? And she said, yes. And so I went over to her house and um, you know, after the first or second resentment, she leans over and she says, I'll sponsor you. And I thought I was just going to, you know, I was so grateful, and I'm so grateful today. And she really helps me. I, I want what she has. Um, she's very confident. Um, she has a lot of serenity. <clears throat> One of the things she constantly tells me is, um, you know, she and she'll say, your only source of happiness is your higher power. I mean, and she says it just like that, your only source. and Because I want to make it everything else. You know, I want to make it the people, the job, the, you know, all that stuff. And um, so, she, so she's really, really been good for me. Um, another thing I really like about her, she really doesn't care what other people think about her. And uh, I really want that. I I want to mature to that level where and I'm getting there. And it's it's sometimes it's I'm not very graceful about it. Uh. But um I'm getting there and it's there's a little bit of but but I'm not completely there. Sometimes I'm like, "Oh, did I make that person mad or I try to people please because I'm just so insecure." Um but I but I've caught glimpses of you know what? You don't like it. Sorry. You know, without being rude. Um Okay. Um I so I, I do the best that I can to stay on top of the steps. Um, inventories are a big part of my program because I get resentful really easily and um you know, it talks about resentments the number one offender and um you know, so I don't re- I don't want to drink. I do not want to drink. It is not a solution and I'm so grateful for that now because if it took my relapse to get to this point, I'm cool with it because I don't, I don't have that torment anymore of maybe I could drink normally or, gee, I wish I could have a glass of wine at a happy hour. It's just, it's not there. And um, there's a lot of freedom with that. And I'll, I, you know, there's a lot of freedom and peace. Um, so I do a lot of inventory. I go, to, I go to a lot of meetings. Sometimes I don't go to as many, I'll go to maybe one a week. Doesn't work that well for me. I do a lot better when I'm doing it. at least three, four is better. And um, Bolden is real, uh, real special and important to me because um, I've been very well, very well accepted, even though I've annoyed people a lot. When I was going through this one job, I bitched about it at every single meeting, um, mm. and uh, people were just would just roll their eyes, and I just would share anyway, <laughs> and. Um, Jim, who sits over there, some of you may know this already, he was chairing a meeting. He was sitting right here, and I was sitting right where, about where Matt was, and I was like, I think I'm gonna drink if I don't quit my job. I was in this horrible job, and he goes, Marilyn, I think I'm gonna drink if you don't quit my job. You know, seriously. And uh you know I laughed, I laughed, and which is um, which was growth for me. I didn't start crying and storm out of the meeting. Uh, I laughed because it's true. I, I was it was obnoxious about how much I shared about that. And um when I did um, was let go of that job, um, I found out later because I wasn't at the meeting, that Jim at, when they came, called for AA related announcements, he said, Marilyn quit her job today, and and the whole room apparently erupted with applause. So, and again, I could have been really hurt by that, but I I thought it was awesome because what that meant to me is people really listened to what I they listened to my crap, and they cared, you know. And even though I just was annoying everybody with. Chronic for years talking about this job. (laughs) Matt, (laughs) shut up. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So that's the kind of love and support I get here. Um, I also went through a really bad time uh, in that last sobriety. I went through a really bad, really bad depression that lasted for quite a, a long time. And I would sit in meetings and just, I was, you know, almost, almost, uh, you know, just comatose and such a bad depression and I would share about it and, um, you know, it wasn't classic big book AA sharing. It was, I am hurting and I don't want to die today sharing and um, the gentleman that sits back there where Steve does, he always does the Sudoku puzzles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He uh, messaged me on Facebook. I mean, we're not buddies. We don't hang out. Um, he messaged me and he said, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I mean, you know that's the love in the in this in the the group, the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I've definitely found that, and that's one of the reasons why I keep coming back. And um, you know I noticed the other day. Well, I've always known it's here, but on this on the desired chip, you know I think it's real important that to thine own self be true, and I think it's significant that that's on our the first chip that we get. Actually, it might be on all of them. I don't know. I think it is, but. Um, you know, in the book, it also talks about we're on the broad highway. And that's real important to me too because I think it's uh, a lot of people, I did and didn't have a problem with the God thing. On one hand, I didn't because I always had believed in God. But on the other hand, I did because I didn't think that God really loved me or that would accept me. I never felt good enough. And so... You know, I like the whole broad highway um, concept because it doesn't matter if you believe in God or not. It it doesn't, you know, just please keep coming back. The only requirement for membership is the desire to stop drinking. That is it. We don't ask you to believe any certain way. And and we have all kinds of faiths, faiths that come to AA, and um, they're all accepted here. Um, so I'm kind of stumbling here. I also want to say that working with sponsees is real important to me too it really helps Um, I had a sponsee recently um, that I worked really closely with and um, she helped me tremendously Um, I was in a really crazy ass relationship yes that still happens to me in sobriety I'm not quite evolved but um, I was in this relationship that I just couldn't seem to get out of I just couldn't get out of it and um, working with her helped me get out of it because I had to be honest with her. I couldn't really talk to her about the principles and about you know, um, working the steps and being honest if I wasn't being honest. And to, my own, to that own self be true, this relationship wasn't good for me. So for me to you know, I just had this conflict and so I finally had to let go of it and it was because of working with her um, is really how that worked for me. And um, you know that uh, working with sponsors is really helpful. And people, you know, a lot of times we don't, under, we don't see how we help our sponsors, but I guess I, I must help my sponsor in some way if my sponsors help me. It's from passing it on and, and sharing me. Uh, it also gets me in the book for real, because I'm not always that great about reading the book. So I was on the phone with the sponsee the other day, and I'm like, you know, there's this really good chapter in the back called Acceptance is the Answer, and you know, page 417, and blah, blah, blah. And as I'm telling her, I'm like, and you know, I think I'll probably read that tonight, too. I probably need that, too. So, you know, it's that kind of stuff, I think, um, that really helps with sponsorship. I didn't plan what I was going to say, except that I did dog ear a couple of things I wanted to read about the book that I think are really really special to me. And uh, they're both... From a vision for you which is the last chapter in the first 164 pages and this book is real important if you don't have one I suggested hey how are you I haven't seen you in forever what's going on um, so um, the program is in the first 164 pages that's the steps that's how it works um, some of the writing is kind of Silly and annoying and outdated, but there's a lot of really good stuff in here, and uh, it's it's in these weird places that I never expect to see it. And um, so there's this one on page 152, and uh, it says, "We have shown how we have got out from under. You say yes, I'm willing, but am I consigned to be to a life where I'm to be stupid, boring, and glum like some righteous people I see?" I know I must get along without liquor, but how can I have you a sufficient substitute? And this is another reason why I love Bolden so much, because we are not stupid, boring, and glum. That's for sure. And then it says, yes, there is a substitute, and it's vastly more than that. Is the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. There you will find release from care, boredom, and worry. Your imagination will be fired. Life will mean something at last. Those most satisfactory li- Years of your existence lie ahead. Thus we find the fellowship and so will you. How is that to come about, you ask. Where am I to find these people? This is my favorite part. You're going to meet these new friends in your own community. Near you, alcoholics are dying helplessly like people in a sinking ship. If you live in a large place, there are hundreds, high and low, rich and poor. These are future fellows of Alcoholics Anonymous. Among them, you will make lifelong friends. You will be bound to them with new and wonderful ties, for you will escape disaster together, and you will commence shoulder to shoulder your common journey. Then you will know what it means to give of yourself that others may survive and rediscover life. You will learn the full meaning of love thy neighbor as thyself. And, um, yeah, that's been my experience. It's definitely true for me that um, the people in the rooms, i become very very attached to and I love watching new people come in and get it. It's really cool because, you know, was, I remember what it was like for me and I, I, you know, I wasn't very graceful about it. So I'm constantly amazed when I see new newcomers come in with their makeup on, you know, looking all good for, on their lunch hour and shit. You know, I was just a mess. So, um, you know, but... I love love when I see a woman come in and she's scared and she doesn't know what she's doing here and you know um, I've been known to kind of chase them out the door like hey you know don't you know let me just say hi to you and sometimes they run off they really don't want to talk to you but I usually try to really um, step up and say something because they're scared to death you know they don't we don't end up here because it's you know because we don't have anything else to do. Um, And then the other thing I wanted to read is uh, real important to me too. It says, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who's still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right